Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Psalm 11, Psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. Charles Simeon called this psalm uh, the song of, of the steadfast. That's his name for it. He thought it would be helpful to remember what it's about. And it fits because most commentators think this was penned when David was serving in the court of the increasingly insane Saul, King Saul. And as you might recall, because we just went through this several Sundays ago, uh, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear on two occasions. And uh, when that didn't work, he tried to kill David in all sorts of other ways. Um, In the midst of all this, um, some of David's friends counseled him to remove himself from the circumstances. And Simeon says his timid friends were alarmed for his safety and recommended him to flee to some mountain where he had a hiding place and thus to conceal himself from the rage of Saul. This, although, um, would have had, it would have opened David up to the charge of a breach of duty to the king, fleeing his duties. And it would have served as proof of him being a coward. And neither were acceptable to the future king of Israel. He was confident in God. God had delivered him from the lion, the bear, the giant. God's prophet Samuel had anointed him. The spirit of the Lord had been upon David mightily. David saw no grounds to distrust God. Quite the opposite. Everything up to this point testified to David of God's faithfulness. Therefore, he says, in the Lord, I take refuge. We're all tempted to take shelter, to find security in someone or something other than the Lord. So mankind takes refuge in riches. We think that our gold, Bitcoin, 401k, Various assets will shield us in the day of trial. We find security in guns and armies and double-bolted locks. We draw our confidence from our physical strength or our beauty. It's easy to trust in created things. Matter of fact, it comes natural, according to the fall, at least. But what does Scripture say? Proverbs 23.5 says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Anyone that watches the markets, everyone's waiting for Bitcoin to go. Who knows if it will happen or not. Um, And people are worried about the Dow right now doing the same thing. And I don't know if that will happen, but I know this, that we have seen things like that happen before. And there's been people who have lived a very wealthy life only for it all to just vanish in a moment. Job was rich, then poor, then rich again. So generally, the diligent produces wealth, 
But if he's diligent according to the Lord, he never trusts in the wealth he produces. Recognizes that it comes from the hand of the Lord. Isaiah 31, verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. I am kind of paranoid I fear for my, my wife and children. Uh, I think I'm probably, our family has more of a helicopter dad than a helicopter mom. Um, but I wake up often, you pray for me in this regards, I wake off, up often in the middle of the night and I check everything. Check all the locks, check stoves, I check everything. Double check. Matter of fact, I use wood blocks to back up my sliding doors just to make sure everything's locked down. And, uh, and then I began to contemplate all the further steps I could take to make my home even safer, to protect my children. And, uh, and it gets pretty neurotic at that point and obsessive. And then I start to conceive of circumstances, situations, where no matter what my preparations are, I could not protect my family. And those are wonderful when God eventually allows my mind to get there. Because either you have despair or you say, you know what? At the end of the day, I have to trust the Lord. I have to put my confidence in the Lord. And I'm thankful for his, his mercy that my mind gets there pretty quick. Because I've conceived of some pretty crazy circumstances. I mean, if there's a nuclear blast, where would the cloud, would the upstate, would that stop the nuclear cloud from coming to the upstate? Like it stops the rain, would I be okay there? What about the acid rain? Do we have enough inches of soil I could pull? Th- things get nutty. Um, and that's because I'm weak. And it's in those moments I realize I've gone down to Egypt instead of trusting in the Lord. What we need to remember is unstoppable nations, unstoppable, so much power have been stopped time, time again. Unsinkable ships, right? We also, no one wants to call their ship unsinkable ever since the Titanic because unsinkable ships have been sunk. And undefeatable champions. Remember, just think of like Ali and the hubris of boxers and football players and Goliath, whoever. Undefeatable champions have fallen. So we have to trust in the Lord. What of beauty and strength? Ecclesiastes 11.10 says, So remove grief and anger from your heart. And put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Aches and pains will descend upon your quickly aging body. It's going to happen. The strength of youth is but a vapor. Think of this. How many smoothie drinking, marathon running, 45-year-olds have dropped dead of heart attacks? Where is our trust? Is it in our strength? Is it in our health? Proverbs 31 says, this is from a, your translation probably says vain, but uh, this is the Holman Bible. A charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Like these bodies wear down. There's nothing a cream, a spa day, or a scalpel can do about it. Everyone's wearing down. And David gets this. He gets not to put his trust in these things, in these lesser gods, these false gods, these little idols. He puts his trust in the Lord. 
The Lord is his protector. The Lord is his provider and his sustainer. The Lord is his refuge, a shelter in the midst of a storm. But it doesn't always come easy. Not even for David. One reason I thought this would be a helpful psalm to do is because we're going through 1 Samuel. And you see that David's not like this in every chapter, right? David's not like, the Lord's my refuge, you know, and just chilling. The reality is he freaks out sometimes. He's weak. His frame's like ours, made from dust, frail. Um, But in his, his clear moments, he knows this to be true. So he says to his friends in the second half of verse one, how can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain. I'm tempted to distrust the Lord. You're my friends. How can you sow the seeds of unfaithfulness into the soil of my mind? He says, into my soul. Right? Deep down into him. It's hitting him hard. He's saying, I need you to pluck out the weeds of sin, not water them. David's like Nehemiah. Nehemiah's enemies posing as friends attempted to entrap him by counseling him to escape for his life. Right? They told him to, to run off. And what does Nehemiah say? He bravely replies, shall such a man as I flee? And David in a like spirit refuses to retreat, exclaiming, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? And perhaps these friends aren't all posers. We have, there's many well-intentioned friends are, are misguided. Uh, such was the case of Job's counselors. Job's wife, not a good friend. You know, Elihu, those other guys, misguided, well-intentioned, trying to help Job in many cases. Nonetheless, their counsel was very discouraging. I heard one pastor jokingly say that he prayed, Lord, take care of my enemies. I'll take care of my enemies if you protect me from my friends. And it's joking. It's a, jo- it's a joke. It's a joke. Okay. Um, nonetheless, it is true. Like we are more apt to listen to the counsel of friends, whether it be good or bad. And it does put us in a vulnerable position. So he says, why? Why are you saying this? Spurgeon says, when Satan cannot overthrow us by presumption, how craftily will he seek to ruin us by distrust? He will employ our dearest friends to argue us out of our confidence. And he will use such plausible logic that unless we once for all assert our immovable trust in Jehovah, he will make us like the timid bird which flies to the mountain whenever danger presents itself. Amen? Sometimes we're just clinging on to trust the Lord. And then someone... It's good to doubt yourself. It's bad to doubt the Lord. And someone co- comes in and sows seeds of doubt. And that's what happened here. And David, David's friends justify their counsel. How can you say this? Well, you're David. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright of heart. In other words, what they're saying, this isn't theoretical. We're not dreaming this up. This is no conspiracy theory. Saul is trying to kill you. He has placed a target on your head. Why stand his crosshairs? Take cover. It seems reasonable. Seems like reasonable counsel, doesn't it? 
And I like what Spurgeon says. I mean, it's hard, ne- it's hard not to quote Spurgeon whenever you come to anything on King David. When you come to the Psalms, the treasury, um, what's the treasury of the Psalms? Treasury of King David? Treasury of David, yeah. Um, it's immensely quotable and worth reading. Uh, when you, it's free ones online. You can buy uh, copies off Amazon, honestly. Nonetheless, he says, David seems to have felt the force of the advice for it came home to his soul. So that's why he brings it up. I'm weak. Why do you say this to my soul? I'm feeling this. But yet he would not yield, but rather dare the danger than exhibit a distrust in the Lord his God. The pagans, those, the unfaithful in in Saul's court, and Saul himself are watching him. And, And David is zealous for the Lord. Just like he was zealous for the Lord when he stepped out onto that field and faced down a man much bigger than him. Much more experienced. It was his zeal for the Lord that drove him out there and his trust in the Lord that sustained him. It's the same trust here. His friends don't let up. Verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And this verse is often misunderstood as some sort of promise to the righteous. Ken Ham quotes it a lot. It could be applied in a good way. Um as that we have to build up the foundations or whatever. But that's not how it's being used here. If you look at your translations, you'll notice that the translators communicate it by the quotation marks that start with, um, what do they start? Uh, with flee and end with do, in verse 3. So this is the, the bad counsel of his friends. Also, I mean, David says, why do you say to my soul? And this is included in there. What they're telling him these friends are telling David that the pillars of society are falling apart. And they, they are absolutely right. Just like they were right about his life being in danger, they were right that the pillars of society were falling apart in Israel at the time. What are the pillars of society? I mean, that's a book. That's five volumes. But if you want a really nice summation of it from Scripture, it comes from Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two, And here it is. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. That is the foundation of society. Anytime a society moves away from that, the foundations break up because they're built on sand. And Saul rejected Isaiah 32, at least the principle behind it, he rejected. And therefore, the very foundations of law and justice were destroyed under Saul's unrighteous government but so what so what as one preacher put it what were all these things to the man whose trust was in god alone he could brave the dangers he could escape the enemies and defy the injustice which surrounded him but so what the foundations weren't destroyed for david He knows who God is. He doesn't fear men who come and go. How many great men? I was listening to some old radio program from the 80s, and they were mentioning like world leaders that I just forgot about. I forgot these guys are big to do. Like my kids won't know who Merkel is unless there's like some world war that breaks out that she's involved in. Some of you don't even know who she is. She's a powerful person over in Germany for the moment. People come and go. 
But David fears the God who never sleeps, the God that's eternal, the God that's been forever. And there are two foundations we can build on. Because we can reduce Isaiah 30, uh, 33, 22 down even further. What it's really saying is fear God. So you're either going to build on the solid rock of fearing God, or you're going to build on the shifting sands of fearing man. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. Those are the foundations. And David's foundation wasn't destroyed. Right? Because he, he feared God. He trusted the Lord. Isn't that the whole theme here? And if he gave in to his friend's counsel to flee, to not trust the, God, not trust the Lord, to place his faith somewhere else, at that moment, he would be giving up the whole thing, the very cornerstone. So he doesn't. He doesn't give in to his friend's counsel, for they fear man more than they fear God. That's who you should listen to. So many of us surround, we listen to blood relatives a lot of times that we, sh- we shouldn't. And they're, they're foolish. They, know the God, they don't know our Lord, or they don't serve him faithfully, uh, but they're family, so we listen to them. And you have, to, uh, you have to identify yourself so closely with the church of God that you listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are submitted to his word. Well, we have lots of family members that have folksy wisdom. That sounds good because we've known them our whole life and we love them. You know, we give them gifts. They give us gifts. We go to their birthday parties. We've been through a lot together. We know all the same things, all the inside references. So it's very easy to trust in uh, friends that go way back and family members that go way back. But the question is simple. Do they, fear, do they fear man or do they fear God? And if they fear, if they fear man, you've got to always put an asterisk by everything they tell you. You always have to be careful. If someone who loves, loves me much always tells me, it'll all work out, Mike, don't worry. Well, yeah, it will. But I could die and go to heaven. And in that sense, it will work out. Right, But that's not the world's most helpful advice all the time. And we don't want to be laissez-faire. It'll work out. I need to pray, though. I need to seek counsel. You know, I need to uh, obey Scripture. So we, a lot of times we get advice that's not good. And David does not receive it. But he doesn't just turn his back and walk away. David, being a good friend, educates his counselors on the right way of thinking. He gives them some reasons to be steadfast. David persuades them to think otherwise. Starting in verse 4. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So first off, it doesn't matter who sits on the throne of Israel down here on earth. Saul might have spears, right? Saul might be after me. He might have a throne. But make no mistake. Saul is a king, but God is the king of kings. Where is your faith? God is enthroned in heaven. I think he brings up heaven just to give them a bigger view, to open them up. Because they may just think of the temple down there in Israel when when they bring that up. And he's saying, no, no, God, the God of the heavens and earth is enthroned. He's in his temple. He's over Saul. He's over Trump. He's over everyone. He's in control. He's the absolute authority. The holy judge is all the power, all the might. Then in verse, or in the, se- the second half of 
of verse 4. There he says, his eyes, uh, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. God sees all. God knows what's going on down here. God's watching. God's testing. God's testing Saul. God's testing David. What does James 1 teach us? James 1 teaches us that we're to count all trials joy, knowing that through them God will make us into a mature believer. David, that, David knows that's what God's doing. God's testing David. Are you faithful? Are, is your faith in me or is it in something else? And he's testing Saul. Saul is failing. Saul is a man after his own heart. David is a man after God's heart. So he's telling them, look, the Lord's testing us. Will we flinch or will we stay faithful? It is a great comfort to know. Think of this. It's terrifying and wonderful at the same time. God sees everything. So all your secret sins, that's how we usually bring it up, right? All the terrible things you've done, God's seen. And that is true, and it is terrifying. Uh, But God also knows your faithfulness. God knows your tears. God hears your prayers in your private prayer closet. God knows, right? He sees. He knows who you are. He knows your heart. And that's why David's saying he's testing us. Um, And then in uh, verse... Oh, one more thing. He says, And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. I brought this up in Sunday school this morning. Um, but Saul is a violent, bloodthirsty man. You know, David is trying to soothe Saul's soul by playing music. And Saul, on two occasions in 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 20, used that uh, as an opportunity to try to throw a javelin through him. He's a bloodthirsty man. God hates those that love violence. There's a difference between uh, violence of necessity and loving violence. We should not love violence. And that is something that's okay to love in our culture. There's a love, take, well, here, let's, let's go after the right to bear arms for a second. It's great to bear arms to defend yourself against tyrants and those that would break in your home and try to hurt your family. But it's very easy for our love of firearms to turn into a love for violence. That's what we must protect against. We shouldn't love violence. But we, we, uh, we should want to defend our family and our property and the things that God has entrusted to us. So he's saying, God, God, God sees Saul's heart. He hates him. And then verse 6, Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Look, it's all going to work out in this sense. God is going to judge those who pursue me wrongly. Those that are aiming that bow at me, I'm not, David's saying, I'm not without protectors. I'm not without weapon, right? The Lord is the warrior. The Lord fights my battle. I'm strong in him. And the Lord will judge those, will judge those that uh, have built their life on, on the sands of fear of man. And that's what he's reminding them. And so often, so often we want to take take justice into our own hands. That's why we like Batman, superheroes. And uh, I was reading a story about a father that attacked a man at a case because the man had done something to a family member. And uh, 
you know, the fact that he got a hold of him kind of pleased me. I was like pleased by it more than I should have been. I'm like, yeah, that's what I would want to do too. But God is a judge. God takes vengeance. God will um, bring judgment on these people. And the problem is with David's friends is down at the, the root of everything they're saying is that they just trust in themselves as their defender and as, as those that would avenge things, that would bring justice. And David's pointing them back to God. And again, that's another great comfort. We can be steadfast. None of us can rid the world of the wicked. None of us can rid this county of the wicked. But a day of judgment's coming where God will take care of those people. They'll have to stand before him. On the flip side, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous. He's good. God is good. He's holy. He does everything right. He loves the righteous, right? Some other translations have righteous deeds. God's good. You can trust God. God will work this out. God will bring his will to pass. The upright will behold his face. No matter what happens, if you're upright in heart, you will behold his face. What does David say? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What is David's main motivation? Is it a dynasty? Is it the throne of Israel? Is it riches? Does he want people to sing songs about him killing 10,000 people? Is that what David's after? Sure, it doesn't seem like it when you read the Psalms and study 1 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, it seems like what David cares about is the glory of the Lord, to be with the Lord. That is what he's after. And that he's reminding them about that. It's not about the kingdom. Plus, God's made a promise, and David knows that too. And they trust that God's going to bring it to pass. And what happens? Saul dies on his own sword in battle. It's a pathetic, disgusting death befitting of such a wicked man. Cost him his, his whole family, except for, how do you say his name? Meshivafeb? Is that right? He's the only one that makes it out. But everyone else is gone. But David, David has his weak points. And there's problems in his home. But David finishes well. And he finishes in faith. And he becomes the standard for all the kings. Did they walk in the ways of David? Think of that. He's number two. Not the first king of Israel becomes a standard. The second one. No one wants to be compared to Saul. They want to be compared to David. Because David was a man after God's heart. Matter of fact, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes through David. He's our foundation. That's what 1 Corinthians uh, 3 says. Paul says, uh, as as a minister of the Lord, the foundation he is laying is Jesus Christ. There should be no other foundation. And that's in the context. All these people want to trust in Apollos and David, and they're trying to debate who's greater. And he said, no, God gives the growth, and we found everything on Jesus Christ, calling them back to devotion to the Lord. That's what this psalm's about. We're going to find ourselves in all sorts of trials. It could be, for example, there's this terrible thing that happened out in California with a, a supposed homeschool family. Um, I, it doesn't sound like they educate their kids at all, but they abused their kids. And now all the Californians are, the government guys are like, we got we to gotta regulate 
regulate homeschool better so bad things like this doesn't happen. Because, you know, bad things don't happen in the public schools. We don't have shootings and other misconduct that can't be mentioned. We don't have any of that in the government-regulated schools. They just, they're just awesome. Um, and I see Christians freaking out. So scared. Wanting to go to Canada like that's any better. <laughs> you know. Um, but God keeps us. He sustains us. He protected Joseph. Right? He protected David. He's protected Paul. He'll keep us. This is calling us to trust in the Lord and know he's good and to reject counsel that goes against Scripture. In essence, it's calling us to fear the Lord, to honor God. And that's what you have to ask. Is that your foundation? Do I fear God? Is this counsel encouraging me to fear, trust the Lord or trust men? Anyway, let's pray. Father, you are so good to give us your word. We know what you want of us. We know your desires. You're so high above us, but you've condescended. And you've spoken through your spirit and prophets and apostles through your son. And we thank you that you've protected your word throughout the age so it can be delivered to us in written form. And we can study it and know what you want. We can know your promises and we can wage faithful war according to them. Lord, make us steady. Found us on the solid rock, not on the shifting sands. Father, that we would honor you in our heart the way David would. That we would be brave as we see trials coming our way, whether it's a tyrannical government or cancer or just difficulties in our marriage, that we would submit ourselves to the counsel of your word. We pray that you would give us friends that would speak your truth to us, and we pray that we would be friends that speak your truth to others. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.